Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the I'm Always Right podcast, Knockout Hour edition. I'm doing the intro again because Steven's not here and I'm kind of whispering because I'm sleepy and if I don't, my mother-in-law might um, hang me from the ceiling by my nutsack and I don't want that to happen. So, all right, Merkel, over to you. Now, that is an intro I didn't think I'd hear today, but like Tyler (laughs) said, uh, thanks guys for joining us again for another episode of the I'm Always Right Sports Podcast, The Knockout Hour. Uh, I'm your host, as always, the Mercs of Mike Merkel, and joining me today, we don't have Steven, but we got the other two guys going strong here. So, like you heard in the intro, Tyler's here. Tyler, how you doing? Pretty good. How about you? Surviving, we are surviving. But you know what? You get through the work week to get to UFC. That's that's kind of my my motto in life right now. Uh, and speaking of getting through the week, Kyle, are you getting through the week over there? Oh my god! All I can tell you is, um, if anyone ever says if you take this cocaine, you'll be like Derek Lewis one day, you believe them hundred percent of the time. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, if I was told that, I. I... I'd be ODing. <laughs> Yo, for sure. Uh, we got a stack card for you to talk about. Obviously, we're going to talk about this Derek Lewis fight. And was it a fight? Was it really a fight? We'll talk about it. Uh, talking about the new um, UFC big fights that got announced for early next year. There's three of them for the next three uh numbered pay-per-views that we're going to go over and kind of give our initial reactions to and, uh, you know, kind of talk early predictions and things like that. And then obviously to end the show, we're going to be talking UFC 295, our predictions, and, you know, see who can topple these predictions this week. Uh, Kyle is technically our reigning champion, went technically with an asterisk 4-0 in our predictions for 294. So we'll see how he does for 295. But, like I said in the intro, Derek Lewis fight, unfortunately for all of us who love Derek Lewis, lost by unanimous decision, 50-44, I'll throw this one to Tyler. I mean, we love Derek Lewis here. He took this fight on three weeks' notice. What did you see, and was it really like, was he unprepared, or is Almeida just awesome? Um... I mean, it, it, I think it's both. Um, you know, it definitely hurts me down to my core as a hardcore Derek Lewis fan. But, uh, you know, Almeida, he's never been a joke, uh, especially on the ground. And, I mean, Derek Lewis, he just he just got taken down really quickly, and he's – He's never been a grappler. For some reason, though, he just could not find his way back to his feet. Like, 21 minutes of ground control is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. I don't think that there's many scenarios where that happens because if you're getting ground control for over 20 minutes, you you should have the submission. Like, I I think Almeida should have... Um, you know, maybe used a little bit more ground and pound, tried to soften him up a little bit before, you know, going for the rear naked or um, the arm triangle or something. Mm-hmm. I think this fight should have been over sooner than it was, you know. And, you know, it sucks 
because I love Derek Lewis, and for whatever reason, just the the temperature of his balls were not um, what they usually are. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is a line I didn't think we'd be hearing too much on this podcast, but we've said it like two or three times in the four episodes, which is crazy. Yeah, dude, but, I, I I gotta chill. This is this is we're we're barely into this podcast, and I, I brought up balls twice, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, no, watching this fight, I mean, it just felt like, you know, every single round was, I'm going to take you down and just kind of hover around you and then just win the round. It, it kind of just felt like a business trip for Almeida. It was just like, okay, I'm going to take you down, ramp you up, and just kind of sit on top of you and make sure you're not going to go anywhere and not going to do anything. And we talked about it, actually, um, previewing the Islam Makachev fight uh, versus Volk, where it was like, when you take someone down and you're on top, but you're not really doing anything, do you, like, deserve all of the points? And I'll throw this one to Kyle. Do you, like, obviously Almeida won the fight, but was it one of those situations where he didn't look super dominant in the fight? Or, like, what do you think it was about Almeida that, um, you know, got him to win here? Yeah, man, it's, it's, hard. it's hard when you watch it because, you know, both of those guys, they both had their own game plans. They knew exactly what the other guy wanted to do. And in Almeida's case, he knew he was going to have to get Derek Lewis on the ground because Derek Lewis doesn't like being on the ground. You could tell he was just laying there like he was like half awake. He was just like, okay, maybe this guy will get it off me eventually. And and Derek Lewis's plan was like, okay, I'm just going to – this guy's going to go for the takedown. I know he's going to do that. So I'm basically just going to try to time it perfect and just hit him with the nastiest uppercut humanly possible. And he surely tried, but – Every one of them failed, pretty much. And Almeida was able to get the takedown quite quite easily. And what I was impressed with with Almeida was his ability to get in very good positions to either hit some great ground and pound or get a submission. And he really didn't do either. He attempted four submissions, but none of them were real serious. I mean, that's partially because Derek Lewis's neck is like the size of my hips. But... He had plenty of advantageous positions on top, and he didn't really do anything with it. And so while you can't you can't score him neg- negatively for that, that's kind of a thing when you're looking at where his position is in the heavyweight division. He was, I believe, he was 10th ranked before this fight. Mm-hmm. And after this fight, he's going to probably move up in the rankings. But I just can't when you're comparing him to like a Tom Aspinall, who I would say is relatively, when you're, when you're talking about styles, he's relatively close to Almeida, not as heavy on the ground. <clears throat> but I feel like if Tom Aspinall went up against a Jelton Almeida, he would absolutely cook him. And, I mean, Aspinall could very well be the intern heavyweight champion in mm-hmm. however many days it would be from today. But... I don't know. I mean, Derek Lewis is just going to be Derek Lewis. You know, he's going to just fight whoever whoever he's given, and he's going to try to put on a show. So mm-hmm. I'm not really worried about where this puts him. But Almeida, as a rising star, I don't really think this this fight was impressive in the fact of, okay, <clears throat> is this guy going to get a title shot anytime soon? I don't think he will. Mm-hmm. As if this performance was... If, he, if it lasted two rounds and he grounded pound and got a submission, then that'd be like, okay, this guy's the real deal. But I think this fight gave us more questions than answers. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting that you say it like that because, like Tyler said, 21 minutes of ground control in a 25-minute fight is absolutely insane. And if I told you, you know, 
before the fight, just like, and you had no idea who these guys were. It's like, yeah, this guy won by unanimous decision, 50 to 44 by all three judges, and then 21 minutes of ground control. You'd be like, so how is he not a number one contender? And yet we're kind of looking at, like, is he even a top five, six, seven heavyweight? Tyler, where do you think um, Almeida stands in kind of the heavyweight division? And what do you need to see from him to really show that he can, you know, battle with, like, the Stipe's or the Tom Aspinall's, like, like Kyle said? Um, I, I'd have him somewhere between, like, 6 and 10 for now. Um, you can kind of make an argument for, you know, at any one of those spots, um, depending on where you have everybody else. But uh, I think what you need to see from this guy a bit more is just kind of like a knowing what to do next, you know, like mm-hmm. four, four submissions and 20, well, submission attempts, excuse me, with 21 minutes of ground control the whole time. I'm just thinking like, dude, he, instead of doing the ground and pound and, and trying to soften up Derek Lewis, he stood up on his feet in full mount. And then did nothing. I was I had no idea what what the game plan was there, and it's just things like that where I'm like, well, you know, Derek Lewis kind of looks like a turtle right now on his back, and you know can't get up, and you for whatever reason just can't capitalize. And competition is much much stiffer at the top of the heavyweight division. It's a very top heavy division. Mm-hmm. So you know, I I think it's. You know, there, there's going to be a reality check, I think, once he cracks into the top five. Yeah, for sure. Um, do you think his style and, like, like lends to helping him take on some of those guys in the top five? Or do you think he'll get outclassed in the top five? I think his style will help him. I think that in the heavyweight division, like, you know, the the ground game really helps you, especially if you're a guy like Almeida who's agile agile, excuse me, enough to uh to shoot on your opponent because you know, you got uh you got a man that large on top of you. I don't care how big you are, you got a two hundred and fifty pound guy on top of your chest while you're trying to breathe, you know, that'll wear on you fast. You know, mm-hmm. that gives you a huge advantage in any division, especially in the heavyweight division. Um but I think the the thing that's kind of missing, and, you know, we saw this with Cyril Gaon because, you know, he um, – th- there, there's a few key differences, you know, one thing being the kicks. But, you know, on the ground, they, they have a similar style. And the one thing that they both have missing is uh, the aggression a lot of times just isn't there. Mm-hmm. They, they, they get by on skill – um, and technique, which often, um, you know, gives them the edge over their opponents. But when you have to step into the octagon with those absolute savages at the top, you, you got to have a little something else too to go along with your technique. You got to want to break them down. Yeah, no, totally, and I, I don't know. I need to see maybe one more fight before I can really say he can step in with the top heavyweights, um, but I do think overall, because we all speak pretty highly of Derek Lewis, I think it was a pretty good performance considering the opponent and, you know, the atmosphere that was there and things like that. 
Um, yeah, so that was, it was an interesting fight, an interesting UFC card all around. Uh, I don't think, was there anything else we wanted to discuss from this one, or you want to move on to uh, the next couple announced numbered pay-per-views that we have coming up here? Um, yeah, we, we, we can go ahead and move on. Do you, do you have anything else, Kyle? No, I didn't. You, you know for damn well I didn't, I didn't watch any other fight other than my boy Derek Lewis. I watched a couple of them, and I fell asleep after the first fight. I woke up after the next two, so. <laughs> All right, so overall, maybe not the greatest UFC fight night card we've ever seen. But regardless, uh, we have some major, we have some big announcements here. So uh, Dana White came out, I think it was on Monday or Tuesday, and announced uh, three new um pay-per-view main events that are going to be happening uh, early next year. So at 297, we're going to have Sean Strickland taking on Driscus Duplice for the middleweight title uh, in the main event on January 20th. Um, I'll throw this one to Tyler. Uh, initial reaction, do you think it's a good first defense for Sean? Did you want to see anyone else in that in that sphere? Or do you think Driscus, uh, you know, deserves that, that, that title shot here? Uh, I love that fight, and I don't think anybody really deserves a shot at the title right now more than Duplessis. Um, you know, he's. Uh, I think he he has the the style to be able to beat um, Strickland, mm-hmm. whereas uh, you know Adesanya that when uh, you know Strickland took the the belt from him i mean he's always been the guy to like you know kick your calf a million times until you know you're you can't stand on your leg long enough to to dodge anything else he throws at you but uh duplicy he has you know a a similar ability as strickland to be able to close the distance to be able to uh you know take some things away from you and uh, i think that sort of like Clash is going to be interesting to see. Um, I gotta say, that I'm probably leaning towards Duplessis in that fight. I think you know we're going to see a pretty uh, quick exchange of uh, the belt here in middleweight. Okay, early prediction by Tyler. They can uh, Duplessis takes that. Kyle, what were your reactions when this got announced a couple days ago? Yeah, I mean when you when you hear about a fight, you know, like this, I mean. Especially because everyone knew that Hamzat really didn't deserve a, an immediate title shot going mm-hmm. after beating a Kamaru Usman on however day twelve days notice. Like we all knew that Drake is too pussy deserved the title shot, and so I'm first of all just happy that that we're going to be able to see this fight, and and second of all, stylistically I love this matchup because of. You know, when Drake's Duplessis fought Robert Whitaker, he was able to beat him because he was just so much bigger. And when Robert Whitaker would, he'd kind of, he'd kind of rush him. He just, he was just way bigger than him. He was able to kind of dominate physically and take him out in the second round. And the Sean Strickland matchup is going to be the exact opposite. Sean, well, Sean Strickland's going to walk him down, or he's going to try to. I mean, Drake's Duplessis is massive for a, a middleweight, but. Charles Strickland is going to be a lot more defensively sound and defensively cautious uh, 
of what's being thrown at him. So I'm very interested to see how Sean Strickland is going to respond to such a massive guy and how Drake's two plus C is going to be able to handle that kind of that kind of offensive output that Sean Strickland likes to put out along with his great defense. And if he's able to take Sean Strickland down a bunch, like, you know, who knows? But I don't Sean Strickland does have very good defensive wrestling, but with a guy that big and that I guess now he's got his nose fixed, so apparently he can go five rounds, no problem. But mm-hmm. it's just a very interesting match. I'm excited to see that matchup. Yeah, I'm pumped too. And the crazy part is looking at the next, you know, five pay-per-views, I'm actually probably the least excited about this one. But that's kind of saying something because I think they're all going to be awesome main events here. Um, speaking of uh, UFC 298, the one that we thought was going to be 297, they moved down a month. Uh, we're going to get Alexander Volkanovsky to get on Ilya Tapora. Um, I think this one is one I'm most interested in watching um, for multitude of reasons. I think the idea of Alexander Volkanovsky kind of taking another fight within, what, three or four months of his last fight, um, is he going to be able to be ready and be prepared for that fight? Because Ilya Tapora is no joke. Uh, Kyle, I mean, what do you see stylistically with this one? And I know we all like Alexander here, but do you think that Ilya has any chance here? Yeah, man. I mean, it's hard, hard because, you know, Volk, Volkanovski said the stuff he did, how he wanted to be constantly working, constantly getting fights. And I believe him when he says that, but even even though he's probably going to be wanting to get out there and wanting to get out to fight again, especially in his own division, even though it might be harder to cut that kind of weight as he ages, like, mm-hmm. I... I'm, I guess what I'm most wondering is how is is the same thing going to happen like with what happened to Kamaru Usman when he got knocked out? I know it's not the same guy, but Kamaru Usman was very reserved after getting knocked out by Leon Edwards, and that was a big factor in their second or their third fight. And mm-hmm. I'm I guess my biggest question is how how reserved is Alexander Volkanovsky going to be? Because Ilya Tapuria is a huge power puncher for the featherweight division. He's got a ton of power, no soft hands at all. And he could, he could, he's got definite knockout power. So I guess early on questions are how is Volkanovsky going to be able to come back after that KO or that TKO? And mm-hmm. is he going to be, is he going to be able to fight in a war like we've seen him fight for the past 10 years? Yeah, Tyler, I mean, I think Kyle has some merit in that. Getting knocked out, we saw with Kamaru Usman, where he just didn't look the same after the next fight. Um, do you think that's the same sentiment? And what are your, kind of your early thoughts as we're three months away from, from this big-time matchup? Man, I, I really hope not. Um, I mean, I would like to see uh, Volk kind of, you know, fall back into form and uh, really bring his A-game for this next fight because I think if he doesn't look like himself and doesn't fight with the same tenacity, it's, it's going to be the same thing with Usman where it just doesn't feel like he really got beat. It just feels more like he beat himself. And I really I hate feeling that way about um, any fight, you know, because obviously I'm a huge fan of Volk and, um, I want to be able to give credit where credit's due to, you know, whoever's able to beat the guy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's hard to do when things like that happen. But as of this moment, I I don't think that it will. Okay. Um, 
I think if it was going to happen, uh, we would have seen a bit of a difference in the last fight with Islam. Even though he didn't get knocked out the first time, I mean, he was taking shots the whole fight. Um, and, you know, we saw him take a lot of heavy shots, too, in his last fight with Brian Ortega. I mean, Volk's got a tough chin. He's not an easy guy to knock out, no matter how much power you got. But, you know, you, you get caught with a head kick, there's not much you can do. Um, you know, no matter who you are. And I guess we'll see. I mean, him coming back this soon, um, you know, was three, four months, um, you know, between his fights. I mean, at, at a certain point, I mean, the guy's got to be only human. Like, mm-hmm. to go through a whole nother camp, and, uh, you know, get ready to game plan for your next opponent in that short of time. I mean, that that's asking a lot of yourself. Mm-hmm. And I don't doubt that he could do it. But, uh, you know, I just hope that we don't see that he's biting off more than he can chew. Yeah, I think I think if I was to bet anybody to be able to do this, I think Volkanovski's probably one or two on my list. But I would, I'm just a little concerned on the, you know, he, he's fought, I feel like, you know, what, two or three times this year already, and then within the last, you know, he's going to have a four-month turnaround into another title fight and stuff. I don't know. I think all these five-round fights are just eventually going to get to him at one point. Um, it'll just be interesting to see if it's going to be this one or not. And then, Yeah, I, I really just hope that he doesn't feel like he's got to go out there and prove something after losing to Islam, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's kind of like, my stance almost on it is, like, I'm worried that, like, he got the head kick knockout, and he's like, no, 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 I'm still the best, let me go prove it, and he does it in three months, and then is it fully ready, and then gets knocked out again, and it's like, oh my god, is he gone? Maybe he just needs time off, but... Right. That's that's kind of my concern there, but... Uh, and then the last one here we got, which I think we talked about this one, I think, a week or two ago, and we were all kind of shaky ground on it, was the Sean O'Malley-Marlon Vera 2 fight. Um, the second one, obviously, Sean O'Malley. Um, actually, this is the one that he technically lost the first time, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, Against Vera? Um, I can't remember. Yeah, this is, this, this is one technique. I know the, the UFC, they try to scrape it away to say he's undefeated, but this is one slight blemish on his record. He lost back in August of 2020. Um, so uh, the redemption fight, Sean O'Malley, he wanted this one specifically to get that redemption on his record. Um, Tyler, I mean, do you think he gets that redemption and do you think he gets the win here? Or do you think he's a um, a champion but can't defend the title in this situation? I I think Sean's looked better every fight I've seen him in. Um Obviously, his big thing is his striking, but, you know, he's got some level of ground game. But as a striker, I think his technique, the way that he fights, his style to go with his strengths, like, he's got probably the best striking in the UFC, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's not much you can critique about it. I mean, he's got the... He's got the length to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got the strength. I mean, he's strong for that weight class. 
And, yeah. uh, you know, he, he's just a guy where, like, you know, you – you, you got to close the distance on him because he's just so lanky. You know, he's got such a reach advantage on most other fighters and they try to step in and engage and he's just so fast. He just, you know, slips one way or the other and just clips dudes on the chin. And, you know, I was maybe the only one of, uh, you know, out of my friends and family who, you know, had O'Malley beating uh, Sterling for the belt. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everybody at, at that time, I think Sterling was the the bantamweight goat, but um, I, I think, you know, Sugar's going to be taking that title before too long here, and okay. we'll see. Yeah, that, now that, that is a hot take there. Uh, I will say, I do think... Uh, Sterling's run with his past title was a little overrated for what people have said, but um, he's still pretty awesome. So, uh, Kyle, I mean, do you share the same sentiment? Do you think Sean O'Malley just kind of takes this one and, and kind of keeps going with this with this uh, title reign, or do you think it's a quick and short, you know, six-month title reign for Sean O'Malley? Yeah, I'm, I basically entirely agree with what Tyler had to say. I mean, this is, out of the three fights that were announced, this is probably the one I'm least excited for, just because I think Sean O'Malley has kind of leveled up over Cheeto Bear. Like, when they fought the first time, like, I feel like they were, they were at similar levels, similar situations, but now, now um, <clears throat> Sean O'Malley has definitely leveled up in his striking and his defensive wrestling and his ability to defend the takedown. And now he's one of the best strikers in the in the UFC, and he's able to use his length, like Tyler said, to just just to dominate the fight on the on the on the feet. Mm-hmm. And when they fight the second time, I don't think Cheeto Vera is going to be too concerned with taking it to the ground unless he starts getting pieced up. And I just don't see Cheeto Vera being able to just get to Sean O'Malley. Like Sean O'Malley's got that super length, and Corey Sanhagen was able to piece up Cheeto Vera. Mm-hmm. And so this is probably the one I'm least excited about because I think this is just going to be a, you know, just a total mismatch for with Sean O'Malley and his striking and his length. I think it's going to be light work for him. Okay. And so so Kyle's least um, look forward to is Sean O'Malley. Mine is the Sean Strickland one. Tyler, which one are you kind of, the like, of the three, are you kind of like, eh, I could probably do without that one, if there is one for you? Um... There's not really one for me. If if I had to pick one, and I mean I can't believe I'm about to say this, but it'd probably be the the Volk fight. Wow. Um, only because I, I do I think it's going to be a great fight. I mm-hmm. would just personally prefer um, there be some more time before we see Volk step into the octagon again. Mm-hmm. You know, um, because sure he lost a couple fights in lightweight you know, when he went straight to the tippity top. But, uh, you know, we still haven't seen anybody in featherweight really be able to challenge him for the belt. Mm -hmm. And I really don't want to see, you know, him coming off of a knockout, you know, be the reason for that to happen. Mm -hmm. It would just, uh, to me... I, I just don't want to see anybody's legacy get tarnished over something that could have been completely avoided. Sure. Uh, <clears throat> but that's just me. 
yeah, uh, I think it's interesting. I think we got a good early next year lineup that we'll be talking about as, you know, the months go on and we get closer to these events. But speaking of these events, we have a little UFC 295 that we're going to preview here. Um, unless there was anything else, I, I think pre-show we said that we didn't have anything else, but was there anything you guys want to bring up before we jump into 295 here and, and give our preview and predictions? I'll, I'll, I'll bring something up. Um, okay. So... Have you guys seen the fight card for the fight night on the 2nd of December? Uh, if you haven't, you should pull it up because it let me, is... Let me get that right now. Uh, is it this December 2nd? Yeah. Yep. I got it right here. This is a stacked fight night. Oh, damn. Yeah. Oh, my God. Look at that. This is yeah. like a numbered card for a fight night. It really does. I mean, you don't have any, like, championship matches on here. But, man, like, even, like... You, you have know, some big names here, though. Figueroa and, and Rob Fong, I feel like, could definitely be on a pay-per-view somewhere. Sean Brady, Kevin. Yeah. Wow. This is... I think a lot of these crazy. guys could have their own fight night, but they're all on the same card. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, I mean, you bring up a good point. This is December 2nd one. Where is this going to be at? Moody Center, Austin, Texas? Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. I mean, this is this is one of the more stacked fight night cards. I mean, I mean Benil Darnush and, and, and Armand in the, in the main event here. I mean, just that alone, I feel like, is going to be an absolute banger, let alone getting Dan Hooker, Sean Brady on the card. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for this. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly... I usually just look at fight nights like the, the the day before we record just to get some opinions and stuff. But yeah, they should, yeah, this, this one is definitely going to be, you know, we're going to be talking about at least the main card, if not maybe more, because you can even go to the prelims and you get Misha Tate, Clay Guetta. Yeah. You got a lot of guys on here that are worth talking about. Yep. Shit. Okay. I, I just thought I would bring that up in case you guys maybe haven't seen it because usually, you know, a fight night, you're kind of looking like, all right, what what's the main event? But Yeah, um, no, I mean, I, I did see the Dan Hooker, Bobby Green, and then the, the, the Neil Darnoosh were on the same card. I was like, okay, that's going to be worth it. But looking at the, the quality of the whole card as a whole, it's definitely interesting. Kyle, are you going to be coming over to watch this with me then? On December? What is it, December 2nd? Um this will be the actually the last UFC event I'll get to watch because the day before UFC 296, I'll be getting major jaw surgery. So yeah, this will probably be the last one I'll be able to watch. So I will be right there with you, buddy. I appreciate. Actually, you know, you can come over. So on December 9th, they have uh, UFC Fight Night in Shanghai. Apparently, it starts at 7 a.m. That sounds so electric. I cannot wait so, to get up at 7 a.m. on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> the prelims start at 4 a.m. So, I mean, we're going to have to be up bright and early for this one if we're going to watch this one live. That's funny. Okay. Uh, enough fight nights. I think it's time to get into UFC 295 headline by Yuri versus Alex Pereira. Obviously, we'll get to that one last, but that will be your main event. We're going to start off, and I'm just going to throw the baton here to Kyle on this one because I know this is Kyle's guy, Kyle's love interest. If if he had to leave uh, his girlfriend for someone, it might be for this guy. We have 
Sir Diego Lopez taking on Pat Sabatini in the opener. Diego Lopez, the betting underdog at plus 100. Pat Sabatini, minus 120 favorite. Kyle, you're getting the baton on this one. What do you see? What do you like? And just tell me how Diego Lopez wins. All right. All right, listen to me and listen to me good. I don't have many heroes in my life. Maybe my father, LeBron James, and Diego MF and Lopez. Diego Lopez, I've I forgot he uh the first time I watched him fight he was a, a like a three day replacement to fight um Mavsvar Volvolev or whatever you say his name. Mm-hmm. And he he came out there first fight in the UFC ever, and he just threw some of the craziest submission attempts I'd ever seen. He was ripping this guy's leg in half. He was hyperextending every joint. I was like this guy is insane. And he lost that fight, but I knew this guy was going to be special in the UFC. And the very next fight he fought in the UFC, he took one of the hardest nut shots I'd ever seen, and then he submitted the guy about a minute later. I was like, this guy, Diego Lopez, and and also he's got a tattoo on his chest in the weirdest font I've ever seen that says, dream, believe, and make it happen. And that's just hilarious. That is funny. I didn't know that either. <laughs> he looks like emo Brazilian guy, and I'm all for it. And now he's be, he's going to be starting off this pay per view against Pat Sabatini. Michael loves to talk about Pat Sabatini because he calls him Pat Soft Hands Sabatini. Whenever Michael's, whenever me and Michael hang out, and he sees a guy who's weak, he says he doesn't say that guy looks weak. No, he says that guy looks like Pat Sabatini. Pat Sabatini is severely overrated. He has no punching power. And Diego Lopez is going to get this guy subbed in the first round. That I don't know if we're doing predictions yet, but Diego Lopez by sub first round easily. Okay. And that's yeah. all I need to say. All right. So Kyle obviously has Sir Diego Lopez by submission. Uh, Tyler, I'll throw, this, I'll throw it back to you. Notes. I don't even know really who Pat Sabatini is. Kyle just kind of threw a couple white lies in there. Uh, Tyler, uh, who you, who you got in this one? Um, it's really hard for me to say. I don't know either of these fighters that well. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> like I, I might have seen Lopez fight once, but I am not sure. Um, but just based on the stats alone it does appear that Lopez has an advantage. I mean, you know, if you want to talk about the 18-4 and four record, I mean, you, you're you're talking about a, a, a two-loss difference, you know, mm-hmm. and Lopez has had more fights. So, um, to to me, I, th- I think the, the everything I'm looking at here stat-wise pretty much uh, backs up Kyle's prediction with how this fight should go. I think that Lopez being the underdog, you know, might be a, a little crazy based on the numbers I'm looking at right now. Mm-hmm. But, hey, that's just Vegas. And, you know, a plus 100 is basically a pick em. Yeah. So, you know. So, so your definitive stand, you're going Diego Lopez as well? Um... Yeah, I mean, this is the I'm Always Right podcast, and I mean, uh, you know, if I and we're, and we're can't be right, right, I'm gonna I'm gonna trust that Kyle's right. Okay. 
that's exactly what I was going to do. Is I, I kind of had the same sentiment. I watched uh, the first Diego Lopez fight that Kyle was talking about. I don't recall the second one as well, and so I'm just going to do my 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 due diligence that Kyle did his due diligence to be on this show, and I'm gonna, we're going to clean sweep Diego Lopez. So if you bet that plus 100, you might be winning something. Uh, Diego Lopez with the sweep here. Uh, so getting into this next one, we got in the lightweight division, we're going to have Benoit uh, St. Denis at minus 235 favorites, taking on Matt Frivola, the 11-3-1 plus 190 underdog. Uh, Tyler, I'll throw this one to you. Um, who who do you who do you like who are you lean in? Um, we got we got a much bigger uh, favorite on this one. So are, are you leaning more of the favorite or do you like the underdog here? I actually like the underdog here. Um, I can't remember who Frivola fought last, but I was very impressed with his last fight. Drew Dober. Yes, this one. Yeah. Um, okay. I I think that Frivola is a pretty underrated fighter. Um, I think that he's a guy who, you know, with some tweaking um, in, a, in a few aspects of his game here, I think he could be a guy that, you know, we see – I mean, maybe not crack the top ten, you know, because lightweight division is stacked. But uh, you know, maybe maybe get around that that number ten contender mark. Um, I I I just liked what I saw from Favola the, the the last time I I saw him fight. I mean, hell, maybe I'm wrong. Um, and Benoit is gonna get it done. I haven't really seen Benoit. F- uh, fight, but uh, you know I'm gonna go with the guy that I like here, even if he is the underdog. All right, so Tyler's starting off with back-to-back underdogs on this card. Um, Kyle, do you have the same sentiment? Are we going back-to-back underdogs here, or are you taking uh, Benoit as the favorite? I'm really, I'm really liking Matt Favola. He's got three knockouts in the first round in his last three fights. And I'm just loving everything he's been doing recently. But with that being said, Benoit Saint-Denis has a 5.5 significant strike land per minute average, which is pretty pretty high, along with the, the average is almost five takedowns a fight. And <clears throat> Mavrola has a 40% takedown defense percentage. So I do like Mavrola in this one and I'm going to take him by knockout. But if you're going to be watching this fight, just watch for the output by Benoit Saint-Denis. Watch for the amount of takedowns he attempts, because if, he, if he's taken down five a foot, he's going attempting five fight, he's probably going to get a takedown or two. So if I were you, I would watch out for the submissions in that way. But I like Fred, Matt Favola by night. Okay. Yeah, so something I'll add. I think the longer this fight lasts, the more it favors Favola. Oh, interesting. He, he, he's a, he's a sneaky way. fighter. The the last couple of times I saw him fight, like he, it, it was like in the later rounds, he he looks like gassed. Um, obviously not in his most recent, but I, I've seen him previously like look tired, and then you know 
come out with a total haymaker that ends up landing. Well, you know, that was interesting because I was actually going to take that on kind of the opposite route where I was like, I was going to say if Matt Frivola, you know, gets that first round knockout, like Kyle said in his last three fights, I think that's a strong possibility that he kind of just walks in and knocks him out. I kind of was thinking if it goes two, three rounds, it might actually favor St. Denis in a sense because of his um, ground ability. He has that longer reach and he's younger. So, I mean, obviously 27 to 33, none of them are kind of, out there in age necessarily, but being younger, he would have that, you know, car- hopefully he'd have that cardio over Matt Frivola. So I was like, man, if it goes to a decision, I kind of like Benoit Saint-Denis here, but I wouldn't be shocked if, if uh, Frivola just kind of walks out and just knocks him out either. Um, yeah. I'm going to be, I'm going to be taking the favorite here. I'm going to take in Benoit Saint-Denis in this fight. Um, Cause I think it goes the distance. I think he takes it on, on a decision here, but Tyler, you had something else? Yeah, um, in in most situations, in most fights, I would agree with you. Like, I would give the uh, the longevity to the uh, grapple specialist, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, he Favola has shown some endurance on his feet, and I think he's somebody who, you know, given his toughness and his knockout power at this weight, I think that uh, you know, even just shooting for a takedown i mean the, the amount of energy it takes to to try to keep somebody on the mat i mean that's exhausting too especially since frivolous takedown defense has been getting better um but uh i guess i guess we'll see uh which one of us uh ends up being right about this uh, so for you keeping score kyle and tyler both take frivola i have saint denis in this one um so we'll We'll keep track of that, obviously, as the card goes on. Uh, coming up next year, match three, um, the the only women's one we're going to be talking about today. Um, we have Mackenzie Dern coming in as the favorite in the women's strawweight division uh, as a minus 210 favorite, taking out Jessica Andrade, the 24-12 and 12 underdog here. Uh, I feel like I see both these names all the time fighting. I don't know if, it's, I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but I feel like I see it. Jessica Andrade and Mackenzie Dern fighting all the time. Um, but they'll be fighting uh, in this one. Uh, I'll throw this one to Tyler. I mean, I know you definitely have seen both of these people fight. Um, where are you kind of leaning and, and who's kind of, you know, edging it out for you? I, I definitely have seen these people uh, fight before, and uh, I'm going to lean Mackenzie Dern. Okay. Taking the favor here. Yeah, Andrade, uh, she... She likes to go for takedowns, um, and she's somebody who I think her endurance could be better in, in those later rounds. You see a lot of times, like, her, her takedown attempts will get, like, just sloppy and, and lazy. Uh, you know, when she gets tired, she'll just kind of try to, like, hang out on the ground it's you know not really a great strategy against a fighter like Mackenzie Dern. I mean, uh, you know, at one fifteen, she's got some power behind those fists. I mean, it, it, it's hard for anybody this weight to be able to knock somebody out. But uh, you know, if you block too many punches with your face, I mean, it's going to be pretty tough for you to win the fight. And I think that uh, you know, sometimes I've seen Andrade just have trouble keeping her hands up. You know, after you know she 
loses some fuel, so I'm going to lean Mackenzie Dern. All right. Uh, Tyler taking Mackenzie here. Kyle, are you are you leaning towards a third straight underdog pick in Jessica, or are you going to be taking the favorite here in Mackenzie? Oh, man, I, you know, I got to go with Mackenzie Dern. Uh, Jessica Andrade, she's on a three-fight losing skid. She got knocked out once and subbed twice. She just fought Tatiana Suarez in her last fight, and Tatiana Suarez is a master on the ground. And as we saw in Mackenzie Stern, uh, most recent fight where she fought Angela Hill for the, to headline a fight night, it was basically mm-hmm. domination for five rounds on the feet, on the ground, and everywhere in between. And Andrade is a little, how do I say this, a little Yuri Prohoshka in her methods of wild attacks, wild takedown mm-hmm. attempts doing whatever she thinks that it takes um, to get a knockout, knockdown, or submission. And and especially recently, it's gotten her KO'd. So I think Mackenzie Duran is way more talented, up and coming. She's going to be able to win by, oh, God, what do I want? I'll say submission. I'll, I'll, I'll say submission. All right. Uh, both of you guys taking McKenzie. I'm also going to take McKenzie. Kyle kind of laid out how I was going to lay it out where, I mean, she was just so dominant on the ground, and Jessica's kind of been on that losing skid. I just feel like, you know, McKenzie's kind of on the rise right now, and this is going to be a big win over a big-name opponent. Uh, so I, I think uh, we got a clean sweep here for one McKenzie Dern. Um, all right, guys, co-main event time. Um we got uh, the heavyweight interim title fight. We got Tom Aspinall as the minus 125 betting favorite going in, taking on uh, Sergey Pavlovich as the 18-1 uh, underdog at plus 105. Now, like I said, minus 125 plus 105, you're getting really close to pick territory, but Aspinall's coming in as a slight favorite. Uh, I'll throw this one to Kyle first. Kyle, um uh, you know, which side do you lean here? Do you like Tom Aspinall uh, more, or are you leaning the, the Pavlovich side? When I'm looking at this fight, and if you're someone who maybe doesn't know exactly how these two fight and how they match up, basically all you got to do is look how last from last fight night, how Almeida fights, and how Derek Lewis fights. And in Tom Aspinall, he's very Almeida-like, where he is very athletic, loves to take it to the ground, but the only difference is that Tom Aspinall also has a great game on the feet and very good at distance management, very good at tagging up whoever he's fighting. And in Sergey Pavlovich's case, he's very Derek Lewis-esque, where it's basically power punches only, and he's just looking for the big knockout no matter when it is in the fight. And when they announced this fight to replace John Jones and Stipe Miocic, I was... I was really excited because I I was excited for the heavyweight division, getting that new kind of up-and-coming heavyweight, not a, not like kind of a, I don't want to say it in like a discouraging way, but in like just like a, not a money grab, but just a just a fight where it's basically nostalgia. Tom, you know, you got the best heavyweight of all time versus the GOAT. But I love this fight because of the these are the up and coming heavyweights who deserve to be to be fighting for championships, even if it's an, an intern championship at the moment. We'll see if John Jones and or CBA get to actually fight in the future. But I think, I mean, as the odds the odds I I don't know the odds are one uh, Aspinall's minus one twenty five favorite. 
I feel like those odds are right where they need to be because Aspinall is not going to want to be fighting Sergey Pavlovich on the feet where Sergey can just go to town on him. I think he's either going to be jumping back and forth in and out of range, trying to either get those light kicks in or get those those punches in quick and getting out, or he's just going to go for the takedown. And I feel like Sergey Pavlovich is going to have a very similar method to how Derek Lewis had last week, he's just gonna wait for him to jump in, and he's gonna go for that. He's gonna go for that, that big punch, try to knock him out. If not, try to get back on his feet. So I feel like it's gonna be a very similar match to what we saw last weekend, but definitely way more skill involved. It's not gonna be some guy sitting on someone for 21 minutes. <laughs> um, it's gonna be very close, and there, there very well could be a huge knockout, and I would not be surprised if that happened. Um, and who am I going to go with? Yep. Oh, I already said Tom. Well, I already said that. Um, by Kale. Yeah. All right. Tom asked one by Kale for Kyle. Tyler, um, same question to you. Are we, are, are you going to be landing on the Saturday side on the stand-up, or do you like Tom Aswell on the ground here? Man, there, this is a hard fight, I think, to predict. I mean, there's just so many, like, wild card variables. I mean, for starters, the six-inch reach advantage for Pavlovich. Um, and like Kyle was saying, he's more of like the ox. And I mean, uh, like, <clears throat> Aspinall, he, he, he's proven to be, you know, pretty decent on the ground. I, I really, I like Aspinall for this fight. And I, if I had to choose... Um, somebody to win, it would be Aspinall, just because I think that uh, I don't think he's going to have too much of a problem um, getting out of the way of those fists, you know, trying to take this fight to the mat and wear him down, but uh, you know, at, at this weight, it only takes one, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's it, it's really hard to, to know who's going to take this, but uh, I'm going to go Aspinall as well. Do you think uh, the difference between a five-round and a three-round fight would make any difference in this, or would you go Tom Aspinall either way? Um, I would go Tom Aspinall either way, but I think it favors Aspinall the the longer the fight lasts. Gotcha. Okay. Um, yeah, and I just thought it would be interesting. I think I'm going to go Tom Aspinall also. Um, like you guys said, I think he's just going to control the ground, and I think – he can either submit Sergey uh, early in the fight, or he can win by points. I think either way, um, I think he comes out on top here. And I think the the, the next question I kind of have follow up to this is because of the um, John Jones and Stipe fight kind of going away. Do you think because uh, John Jones needs what eight nine months to repair his injury? Do you think the winner of this fight gets? Stipe sometime next year? Do you think that's kind of the fight that they're going to go with, or do you think they just have other ideas in the heavyweight division as a whole? Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if they went that direction. I, I'd kind of like to see them do that, um, only because, you know, I really would like to see some fresh blood in this heavyweight division. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I I was a big Ngannou fan for a while, and, you know, he was, at, at the time, he was still relatively new to the sport, and when he left, I was like, all right, you know, it's all the same guys. It's Stipe and Jones running the show, 
you know, we had Cyril gone for a second, and then he got destroyed by Ngannou before he left. So if we could just, like, you know, beef up, you know, the the top ten in heavyweight, make it a little bit more interesting to watch, I would love that. Mm-hmm. Kyle, same thing to you. I mean, do you think that's kind of the direction they're going to spin it? Because I feel like, like if Tom Aspinall, either one of these guys win, I mean, they're going to be sitting for – six, seven, eight months waiting for John Jones to come back. I feel like that's a really long time in between fights for the interim heavyweight champion. Do you think, you know, Steve is kind of the next option? Do you think there's someone else I'm not even thinking of that gets that opportunity next before John Jones kind of comes back in and takes reign? I mean, I mean, what I really think is going to happen is they want just John Jones and Steve Milchis just to fight each other. And then, mm-hmm. and then they just both retire. And just go on their way. I think that's what they really wanted to happen. Probably. I mean, it's really hard because okay, you have, you know, one of these guys is an interim champion now, and then if they want to fight someone else, they want to fight someone else for, you know, while you're waiting for John Jones to potentially come back and fight them to unify it. Like, are you just gonna you're gonna fight Curtis Blades for the to, for the interim championship again for you know yeah. in between? It's kind of like a weird situation. Mm-hmm. And I wish they would just be fighting for the actual title so we could have just a real title holder and not an interim one while John Jones sits at home for a while. Um, but I don't know. It's it's a weird I mean, whatever they do, they're gonna try to try to make the most entertaining fight or the best fight, but you know, we'll see what happens with these two fighting and see we'll see where we go. We'll go we'll go from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I just thought it would be interesting to bring up kinda the outlook of the heavyweight division moving forward with John Jones being hurt, things like that. But uh, but now we got uh, we got some heavy hitters. We did have we just had some heavy hitters, but now we got some like actual heavy 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 hitters. We have the main event here for the uh, vacant light heavyweight championship. We got Alex Pereira having his uh, was this his, is this his first fight at light heavyweight? Second fight at light heavyweight. Yeah, second fight at light heavyweight, taking on uh, Yuri, who is actually the betting underdog going into this fight. Um, Tyler, I'll, I'll I'll let you take this one off the top. Um, I mean, are you are you leaning Alex Pereira? I mean, this is his only what fifth fight in the UFC, and he's already going to be going for a second title here. Or do you think Yuri, as the experience, kind of has the edge on him? I I think this fight there. There's a lot of close fights, a lot of pickums on this card. I think this is the about as dead even as you can get. Mm-hmm. Um, Pereira, I, he looked much better than I thought he would at light heavyweight. He looked like he had uh, a bit more energy at 205 than he did at 185. But uh, Prohaska, I, I just feel like people forget what this guy did um and uh correct me if i'm wrong but wasn't that him fighting uh Teixeira the one time where there was like 50 reversals in a span of five rows uh you yeah. talking about Yuri yeah, yeah. Okay, Glover yeah 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 that that fight to me um is is probably the reason why I'm going to favor Pereira and not because I didn't like the fight, not because I thought Prohaska looked bad per se, but 
I mean, Teixeira was 42, not that uh, Pereira's a spring chicken in the UFC at 36, but um, I was expecting Prohaska to be a little quicker on his feet, um, a little bit more dominant moving on the ground, trying to work something, work a submission, or like try to get on the inside of uh, Teixeira's defense. But uh, for whatever reason, he just couldn't do it. And I think that's a credit to Teixeira. But that's also something I wasn't expecting the last time he fought because Prohaska just looked so dominant. And before that, you know, throwing out these fancy spinning back elbows, you know, for knockouts. Mm -hmm. I think we all remember that. But uh, Mm -hmm. Pereira, like, he just looked... In my opinion, he looked better at 205, and he looked like a precise fighter. Like, the the way he fought was deliberate. Like, he had an idea of what he wanted to do. Um, and, I mean, oh, man, I wouldn't be surprised no matter which way this fight turns out. I think that Pereira's maybe got a bit of a technique and slight speed advantage, and Perhaska's got a strength advantage. If it lasts and goes to the ground, I'm going to give it to Perhaska. But if I had to pick one of these two guys, I'm going to pick Pereira. All right, Tyler uh, making his ground here and uh, picking Pereira. Kyle, uh, do you share that same sentiment? Do you think Alex Pereira takes this one, or do you think Yuri um, has his number here? Yeah, I mean, I can tell you exactly how this fight's going to go. They're They're going to start off. They're going to be staying right in front of each other. And then Alex Alex Pereira is going to start throwing these cat kicks, and he's just going to keep going for it. You know, they're just going to kind of figure each other out for a few minutes. They're just going to keep throwing these cat kicks, and eventually Yuri's going to be like, "Oh no, this this hurts really bad. Screw this!" And he's just going to launch himself right at Pereira. And this is this when he does this because this will happen. Mm-hmm. When he does this, watch for Pereira to throw that signature left hook as he's coming in. If he connects, could be huge. If not, you know, Yuri, if he connects, Yuri might go for a takedown. I mean, Alex Pajeda has been getting a lot better on the ground, defending takedowns, being able to control on the ground. But he might think that he has an advantage there. So he might he might go for a takedown, you know, and they're going to start rolling on the ground. That's exactly what's going to happen. You could put all the money on it. This is not gambling advice, though. <laughs> and then and then while Yuri Prasco is controlling Alex Pajeda, He's going to whisper in his ear in Alex Pajeda's native language, you're a bitch, and think he's going to get in his head. But then the spirit of Glover Teixeira, Glover Teixeira is going to move into Alex Pajeda's body because he's his coach, and then he's going to turn into an elite jiu-jitsu artist, and he's going to reverse Yuri Pajaska and get up on his feet. And whatever happens after that, I don't know, but I know that. <laughs> um, but, you know... That was, that was something. Did you chat GPT that, or did you just come no, up with that all on the fly? I came up with that while I was driving home from school, actually. I'm not going to Oh, okay, that. okay, sure, sure. But, I mean, act, actual analysis of the fight, I mean, like, Tyler mm-hmm. kind of said everything that needs to be said. You know, it's there's so it's so close, and there's so many different outcomes that can happen. Both these guys are very unpredictable, especially Yuri Prohaska. He's a wild man. He doesn't care. He'll get hit. He's got a great chin. He's massive. Alex Pajeda's never seen this kind of dude before. 
Um, but Aspeta has a lot better chin than he ever, has ever had because he doesn't have to cut like 50 pounds down to middleweight. Now he can be at least closer to his natural weight at 205. But if I were to pick someone, I probably would pick Yuri Prohaska. He is very crazy, and he easily could get himself knocked out, no problem, by Alex Maeda. But I think he just has is more well-rounded and is going to have more answers for Alex Maeda mm-hmm. at the end of the day. I don't know how that will happen, though, but it will. Okay, yeah. Kyle, Kyle going with Yuri here? Or you said you went with Yuri or you went with Alex Pereira? Yuri. Yuri Bronson. All right. Kyle's going with Yuri. Tyler's going with Alex. Now I'll also be taking Alex with Tyler here. Um, I don't know. Every time I watch Alex Pereira fight, he just he, he has, like, bricks for hands and just looks so impactful every single time. And I, I know Yuri's going to come out. I mean, if you just listen to Kyle's soliloquy there, I mean, he had it all laid out to, to the T there, but – I think Alex Ferrer's got something in store, and I think um, I think he's going to knock out Yuri, um, you know, sometime maybe in the second or third round here. So, but I think I think this one is definitely going to be one to keep an eye on, and definitely something um, something fun to watch here uh, as we get going with this card. But yeah, that's UFC 295. Any last uh, words, comments, or any last things you guys want to say on 295 before we before we hop off here? Um, nothing about 295, but, uh, one thing that I was going to bring up earlier and then, you know, we, we got going with all of our other topics, but, uh, the guy who just fought on the fight night last weekend, uh, Mm -hmm. Dante Mays, uh, I didn't really know who he was before the fight card, right? So I looked him up. Apparently he had a fight like last year against a guy, uh, Parisian, where he straight up humped him in the face, and they called it unique striking. And I watched this video, and I was crying laughing. If you haven't seen it, you owe it to yourself to watch it. because Is it, it's, is it this, this Caillou Fernandez guy? No. Are you at the, the fight? Uh, fight night, the Lewis night. Yes, yeah. So go down, Don Tail Maze, that guy. Oh, right under okay, Dolby. Okay. All right, so he was. Yep. They were. He was the third. Uh, third the main fight. Yes. Loss. Okay. So, if you go to like his profile, or, yeah, there you go. I'll, 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 yeah, let me let me jump in here. Obviously, the audio listeners won't see it. Won't, no idea this, but that's it was like a year, uh, more than a year ago. Yes, against Josh Parisian. Right. When I watched that fight, he straight up humped this dude in the face. Like it, it was the funniest thing I've ever seen. It, it is UFC comedy gold, and if you haven't seen it, you should watch it and get a good laugh out of it. They all called right. it unique striking. <laughs> all right, so for all the audio listeners, uh, December 18, 2021, UFC Fight Night, Lewis and, and Darkos, uh, this is where this fight took place at. So if you guys want to jump back and get a good laugh, watch this fight. Apparently it's something. I haven't seen it, but apparently it's something. Maybe I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't be flexing. Like, maybe I shouldn't be parading this fight if he's humping a guy. Maybe that's not... 
I, I got to check with Rob. <laughs> Rob's going to hear this and go, what are you guys talking about humping people? We're going to get canceled. Okay. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're, I, I'm literally, I'm not even joking. I'm not trying to be politically incorrect. He straight up humped a guy in the face. I, I There's no other way to put it. All right. Well, I'll, you know what? I'll take your word for it and I'll watch it myself. And uh, I think everyone that listens to the show should watch it. And then we should come back and talk about it next week. So that would be something to talk about for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Okay. Yeah. So that's uh, 295 and a guy humping another guy. That's something to end the show on. Uh, Kyle, do you have anything? Do you, Have you watched any fights about guys humping each other? Or are we good to sign off here? I mean, uh, the one uh, where Adesanya humped, I think it was Paulo Costa. Mm. That was pretty cool, though. And now it's <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you guys for listening. Like always, we had Tyler here talking some UFC, the Whaleman, Kyle Budzanowski. I'm the Merck, so Mike Merkel. And always, we'll see you guys next time.